are in. Uh, we're in the Apostles' Creed this morning, and um, we are looking at uh, the section of the Creed which tells us that Jesus um, was born of the Virgin Mary and that He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So if, you're, uh, if you've been with us, you know we're working our way through the Creed. And um, this, uh, the Apostles' Creed is uh, one of the earliest uh, Christian creeds that we have that is, has been used uh, uh, down through the ages in the church. The, the earliest really known kind of uh, version of it comes from about 390 A.D. And um, it wasn't actually written by the apostles themselves, but it contains the teaching handed down from the apostles themselves. And so what we're doing with the creed is this fall we are, we are using the creed to um, work through doctrinally those things that we believe. So um, we are connected, as you'll remember if you were here, the, the first sermon we did on this, we're, we're connected with the church. One of the things that you, using the creed as we do connects us with Christians, not just in this room, not in just this day and age, but the creed helps connect us worldwide to Christians. It helps connect us historically to Christians, right? So it, it anchors us. It, it helps keep us focused, if you will, so that the main things are the main things. That's one of the big things that utilizing a creed like this does. Now, the thing that we, uh, we also, this is really going to bug me, probably won't bug you, but all right. Um, well, and so what we're doing is we're taking the creed and we're letting it point us back to Scripture, okay? So, but what that means is that every week we're somewhere different. And so this morning we're in the Christmas story in Luke chapter 1. So you're getting Christmas a little bit early. Um, and, uh, and that's okay. But, but the other thing that, that we're doing, because we're doing this, is we are doing more of what, what we would call a systematic study. Okay? So we're looking at the creed and we're looking at, at points of what, what we refer to as doctrine. <sighs> and that word scares some of you, doesn't it? Doctrine? Yeah, no. What about the word doctrinaire? Does that scare some of you? See, you, you want to be doctrinal, but you don't want to be doctrinaire. You don't want to be, you don't, you, you don't want to be, a, you don't want to use doctrine as a sledgehammer. All right? But, but everybody has a doctrine. Everyone has some sort of a, a structured understanding. And, and it'll be right or it'll be wrong. Um, it's kind of like, you know, everybody's a theologian. The question is, are you a good theologian or a bad theologian? All right? So everybody has a belief in God. The question is, does your belief line up with truth? Are you with me? And so we're doing sort of a doctrinal study then, a, a systematic theology study, if you want to think about it, in each of these various parts of theology. And so we've already talked about who God is. Um, we talked a little bit uh, 
about the fact that He is our Father and He's big, but He's also imminent. We talked about the fact that He created everything and we looked at that. And then last week, uh, Marion talked about how it is that Jesus Christ, His only Son, is our Lord. What, what exactly does that mean? And, um, and this morning, we're going to talk about what we term in theology the Incarnation. What in the world is it? Why is it needed? And what does it mean? What is it? Why is it needed? And what does it mean? If you're an outline person, I just gave it to you. Okay? What is it? Why it's needed? And what does it mean? So let's just jump in and start looking at it. The incarnation for us is the Bible's teaching. It's picked up in the Apostles' Creed, okay? So think about this. Those early Christians are asking the same questions that, that we ask. What do we need to know about who God is, about who Jesus is, and about what the Spirit is, or who the Spirit is, and what the Spirit does? What do we need to know? Like, if you're going to boil it down, what would be some of the basic things? And what do they say? Well, they say, well, the incarnation is one of those basic things that you must believe um, concerning Jesus, okay? If you've, got a, if you've got that red Trinity hymnal somewhere there in front of you, you want to grab that? It's probably in a chair back or something there. Grab one. We don't... Um, these are a, a great gift that folks got for us. And in the back of it, if you'll turn to page 846... You'll see, you'll see the creeds, okay? Actually, starting on 845 is the Apostles' Creed. And then if you turn to 846, not him, page number. So look at your page numbers. And if you'll turn to 846, you'll see another creed, the Nicene Creed. And you'll notice that the Apostles' Creed is somewhat slimmed down. 846, the Nicene Creed has a much bigger section on who Jesus is, okay? And, and they, they give us a little, they, they dive a little bit deeper. They're, they're, there was a different concern at the Council of Nicaea around 325. And the concern was, who is this person, Jesus, okay? And, and one of the questions swirling around was the nature of the incarnation. Jesus becoming a man, how does, that, how does that work? So did He give up divinity in order to become a man? Um, is He just a man? Or is He still God? And the, the man part is just only halfway? How does all of that work? And the Nicene Creed attempted the answer to that. Just, just, uh, let's just look at it. And in one Lord... We believe in, in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds. Okay, so He's eternally existent, the Nicene Creed is telling us. He is God of God. That means His substance. He's, he's fully God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. He is of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. So everything was made through Him. He and the Father are one. He is very God of very God. They're, what they're trying to say is, 
There's no difference. He's God. But He came down from heaven. He was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and He was made man. That's how the Nicene Creed kind of took those two and put them together. All right, Helping us think about that. We, we've already talked as we looked at who is God. And, and, I, and I just said, it kind of blows your mind. It kind of blows your mind when you think about the doctrine of the Incarnation. Jesus came. He took on the form of a man, but He didn't give up any of His godness. He is still very God of very God. And He's very much man. And so we like to say He's 100% man and He's 100% God in the person of Jesus. I don't know how that happens. I, I can't even begin to explain to you how He did it. But you'll notice that when you were when when Lou was reading scripture, he got to um, he got to verse. Hold on, thirty-seven, and in verse thirty-seven, Luke says, "For nothing is impossible with God." Did it blow Luke's mind? Absolutely. Did did it, did it need to be said? that God can do whatever He wants to do, that nothing is impossible with God? Yeah, it needs to be said. Because what, what we're reading in this passage is that Mary, who was a young lady, had never had sexual relations, and yet she was with child. And that happened by virtue of the power and the work of the Holy Spirit who came upon her. Verse 37, I think, helps. For nothing is impossible with God. Because you and I think about that. The world looks at that and says, whatever. I mean, be, let's be real. This is a, a, an incredibly challenging doctrine. It's hard to understand it. it. It's frankly, it's hard to believe. It is hard to believe. And, and, it, and a lot of people don't believe it. And I would venture a guess that some of you are here this morning. And you don't believe it. Because you don't, you don't see the need for it. Right? Because there are, there are a number of reasons why you think maybe Jesus came. So we're going to talk about why the virgin birth, and the incarnation is needed. But let's finish. What is it? It is the doctrine that Jesus became one of us. That He gave up some of the glorious splendors of heaven to come and be a man. John 1.14 puts it this way, The Word became flesh. Colossians 2.9 Paul says, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. That's the incarnation. That's the doctrine of the incarnation. Philippians 2, 5-7 puts it this way. Paul says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but He made Himself nothing 
by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the incarnation. That is the idea of the incarnation. It's a mystery. It's a challenging idea and doctrine. Jesus didn't cease being God. He didn't give up His deity. Instead, He assumed a body like us and He lived the way that we live. He went through everything that we go through. The Bible says that He was tempted in every way and yet He was without sin. That's the doctrine of the Incarnation. We could do 12 sermons on that alone. Okay? So, well, we're going to move to why is it needed. You understand the doctrine. Why is it so important? Why? Why would the second person of the Trinity become a man and live among men? Let me give you a couple of reasons why he didn't do it. Alright? And then we'll talk about why he did. And when I, when I say this, it's going to sound a little... Well, I'll caveat it. Jesus didn't become a man for the sole reason or the primary reason of showing you how to live. That is not the reason that Jesus became a man. Did He show us how to live? Absolutely. Are you to follow in His steps? Yes, you are. Is that the primary reason that Jesus was incarnate of a Virgin Mary? Is that the reason? The primary reason? No. And He didn't come so that He could teach amazing things. He didn't come so that He could be the, the Gandhi of, of Israel. He didn't come so that he could, he could just teach amazing, mind-blowing doctrines and, and fill stadiums. That's not why Jesus came. Did He come and, and teach amazing things? Absolutely. We have them on the pages of Scripture, and there, as John says, there are volumes more that He could have written. That, that could be in there, that Jesus taught. But those are not the reasons, the primary reasons, why Jesus came. The primary reason that Jesus came is that you and I are broken. And let's talk a little bit about it. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. So he didn't do it just to show us how to live, although He did show us how to live. He didn't do it just to come and teach amazing things, though He did teach amazing things and He gave us truth about who God is and He showed us who God is, absolutely. But listen to what Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, He too, that is, Jesus shared in their humanity, so that by his death 
he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but who? Abraham's descendants. Who are Abraham's descendants? Raise your hand. All right, there we go. Father Abraham had many sons, right? So you and I are Abraham's descendants. Everybody who trusts in Christ by faith is a descendant of Abraham, if you will. Okay? We are, um, we are Abraham's descendants. Verse 17, for this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful, circle the words, high priest in service to God. That And here it is, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. That's why Jesus became a man. That is why Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. That's why the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and gave her a son. Because Jesus had to be like you and I in every way. See, you could die for someone, but you're a sinner. You're just like that person flesh, you have a mom and a dad and all of that, but your death would not go very far in atoning for another person's sins. But Jesus came, and he was born of a virgin, and he was born of Mary, and he had a heavenly father, so to speak. And because of that, he didn't share in our sin. And then the Bible teaches that he He lived in every way, he was tempted in every way, and yet he was without sin. And all of that comes into play because you and I needed a high priest, a faithful high priest who could atone for our sin. See, so all down through the ages, they've been offering animals as sacrifices to atone for their sin because The wages of sin is death. And so that was the requirement. And so there's this ongoing system. Jesus comes, all right, and when they see him, they say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And and he goes to the cross, and so he is both the high priest offering the sacrifice, and he is himself the sacrifice atoning for our sin. He is the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. And in order for Him to be that Lamb, in order for Him not to have inherited the sin of Adam, He didn't have a human father. Had He had, had Joseph been His dad, He would have inherited Joseph's sin. You see? Because the Bible teaches that you and I are born with the sin of Adam in our DNA. That's original sin. 
That is the doctrine of original sin. You and I are born broken. What does David say in Psalm 51? David says, surely I was sinful, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Are you with me? That's David's confession, all right? And it's the confession of Scripture that we're born broken. And so we inherit this sin, this original sin from Adam. And then we actively participate in it. So we inherit it, we own it, we live in it until we're called out of it. Jesus is born of Mary with the Holy Spirit responsible for the other part. And so he's born of the flesh and the spirit and he goes and he lives through life just exactly the way you and I do and yet he does it without sin so that he can fulfill the law's demands perfectly which is what's required. So sometimes we say salvation is salvation's by faith alone and not by works. Have you ever heard that? Yes? It's true, and yet it's not true. Salvation is by works. It requires good works. It requires perfection. It requires perfect righteousness in order to be saved. But you don't provide it. Jesus does. Are you all tracking with me? So good works, obedience to the law, the the Ten Commandments being kept perfectly is actually the requirement. You, You are required. You will be required to produce that, show that on the last day. But it's not yours. It's credited to your account. It was done by Jesus. This gets us to the doctrine of imputation. Okay? And that is, and I know we're, uh, I hope I'm not losing you. All right? But the doctrine, so the idea of imputation is this. Adam's sin is imputed to all humanity. Right? That means it's given, it's credited to all of us. We're born in it. Adam was what what we call our federal head. He represented the whole human race. So, um, you know, I'm trying to think of a really good example. Um, Sometimes you you think, think of it this way. Your football team is playing, right? So you're talking to somebody and you go, man, we laid it on Mississippi State last night. I had to work that in there somehow. Um, we worked, we worked Mississippi State. We, 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 we worked Mississippi State over last night. Did y'all see that? 58 to what, 23 or something? Like, we smashed them to pieces last night. Hey, do you ever talk like this about your team? You haven't even ever stepped foot on that football field. How, how are you? You see, but you, you identify with them, right? You, you're, you kind of, and, and we identify with either Adam or Jesus. Okay? So when Adam fell, you fell. 
And when you trust in Jesus, then His, His work, His righteousness is credited to your account. That's how He, and He paid the penalty for your sin. Both of those need to be in the equation. Because one day you're going to stand before God and He's going to go, show me your good, show me, show me your perfection, show me your perfect righteousness. And all you're going to do is go, I, I don't have it. I'm trusting Jesus for it. You see? And it's credited to your account. And so Jesus had to be perfect in order to do what Adam, the first Adam, failed to do. The first Adam failed to fulfill the law. The second Adam, Jesus, and if you want to read about the second Adam, you can go to 1 Corinthians 15.45, okay? And you can read about the first man, Adam, and the second Adam, the last man, Adam. And that's Jesus. Jesus is the second Adam. And Jesus came, just like the first Adam came, and he went out into the wilderness, okay, and he was tempted by the devil. Do you remember a story where another Adam was tempted by the devil? The first Adam was tempted, and he fell. The second Adam went out into the desert, and the serpent came and tempted him. And what did he tempt him with? He tempted him with the same thing that the first Adam got in the garden. What did the first Adam, right? You can be like God, all right? And so he came again, and he came to Jesus, and he said, Hey, look, you can have the kingdom. I'll give it all to you. All you got to do is, is do this or do that. And Jesus said, it's written. Okay? And he pushed back, and he was obedient where the first Adam had failed. See, and he did it as a perfect substitute in your place. And so now, when you trust in Jesus, he becomes your representative. And so you identify with him. And so the Bible says it over and over and over again, right? You are in Christ. Your life is hidden in his life. And on and on the identification goes. All right. Woo! I think, I think like, I feel like we're preaching this morning or something. So what does it all mean? So that's the why. The, the reason that it has to happen is because we need that perfect substitute for us. And Jesus can only be that if he doesn't come into the world with inherited original sin. That's why the incarnation and the virgin birth is so critical. You see, if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that, then Jesus is just another man, just like you and me. He's just, he's just another man. And he has the inherited guilt, the sin of Adam is in his DNA. And if he's a sinner, then he can't be a perfect substitute. That's why the incarnation is critical. If you, if you pull out the incarnation, if you don't believe in the incarnation, then Jesus is just another you. And you can't save you. And, and your neighbor can't save you. The person sitting next to you can't save you. And, and your mom and your dad, they can't save you. They can't rescue you from this body of death. <coughs> That's why you needed a perfect substitute. And Jesus is that. All right, let's do this. What does it mean? Three, not original with me. First, <clears throat> what does it mean? Because if we just stop there, 
those are wonderful truths, but you're going to be left asking the question, so what? So what does it mean? Here's the first thing it means. It means that you can be really and deeply spiritual. And here's what I mean by that. It means that you can be truly connected to the creator of the universe. Because that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that because, right, you have this relate because Jesus has come and because he has broken down the wall of hostility between you and God, you can have a relationship with the creator of the universe. I love the story John MacArthur tells um, one, one of my favorite preachers. He's, he was talking about he got on a, he got on a flight, in, uh, a southwest flight in Los Angeles, and he was going to Arizona. And he got on the flight, and they were flying to Arizona, and he's sitting next to a Muslim man. And so they start having this conversation. The guy says, MacArthur had his Bible out or something, and, uh, and the guy asks him a question about it. And so they start having this conversation. And, um, and, and, and in the course of the conversation, John MacArthur says something about having a personal relationship with God. And the Muslim guy looks at him and says, hold on a second. He says, you mean you have a personal relationship with God? And MacArthur says, like, you know, what are you doing on Southwest? We don't even assign seats. You know, I mean, if you're that close to the Creator, what are you doing here, right? And um, it, it, it was completely foreign. I mean, you have a personal relationship with God? I mean, how is that possible? And that's possible because Jesus came and took on the form of a man. And he showed us who this God is, right? He lived before us. He, he, in every possible way, he touched us. He went through everything that you and I go through. Are you with me? Loss, been there. Check. The struggles of life, he, he at least saw and knows. And that allows us, right, this deeply personal relationship with, a, with the creator of the universe who loves you. He loves you. That's what the Bible tells us. And that allows for a deep spiritual connection for us. Here's the second thing. You and I can be happily materialistic. Okay? That means you can love. It's okay to love the things of this world. Not with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But you can love them. You can engage them. They, they are okay. It's okay, right? The lake is okay. You, you don't have to feel guilty about it. Right? The, the boat you have, the jet ski you own, the, the truck you have, the, the deer stand you, you sit in. The, I, Robbie, I'm sorry, I called you out. Right? Whatever it is you love about this world is okay. Because Jesus took time to come down here to walk among us, to live on this planet. He took on himself flesh. You see... Some people think to be uber, to be really spiritual is to get away from all of this, okay? So I'm going to go 
cloister myself somewhere. I'm going to go hide away somewhere. I'm going to get away from all this materialism, all right, because that's the problem. No, that's not the problem. You know where the problem is? Right here. This is the problem, right? So if this gets worked on and this gets fixed, then this isn't the problem. You see, it's our interaction with it. It's okay. It's good. You are not just going to be zapped out of here and go to the clouds, uh, you know, heavenly by and by someday. There is going to be a new heavens and a new earth with, guess what? Lakes and rivers and streams and mountains and beaches. You're going to have a problem then? No, because you're going to have a new heart. You see, God created Adam and Eve. Where did he put them? Right here. He created this world. So the world's not the problem. The stuff is not the problem. This materialistic world that we live in is not the issue. It's okay. And Jesus came down here, and he is going to make it all okay one day. And so the incarnation teaches us that. It shows us that. It it reminds us that this stuff all actually matters. It is matter, but it actually matters. Does it make sense? That was a science joke, and like one person laughed. All right. It's, it's matter, and it matters. I like that. Here's the, third, here's the third thing. You and I can be honestly relational. And, and here's what I mean. Jesus, part of what Jesus did was he... When he came and he offered himself as he broke down walls. Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter uh, 2 and 3 where he says he broke down the walls of hostility between Jew and Gentile. Paul talks about it again in, in 2 Corinthians, okay, where he talks about the fact that you and I, because of Jesus, because of his work for us, have been made ministers of reconciliation. And, and we help to reconcile others to God, and we reconcile ourselves to each other. You see, and Jesus did that. He came and he, he made all of that possible for us. And so it's important, your relationships with each other, our relationships, they matter. They're important. Jesus came, he lived among us, like us. And he had relationships. And he entered into those. And when, when he was betrayed, did it hurt? Yes, it hurt. When Lazarus died, did it hurt? Yes, it hurt. Jesus fully entered into life. He didn't come down. He, he wasn't a robot. He hurt. He experienced pain. He laughed, he cried, he, he experienced the whole range of emotions. And he didn't do it by himself. He did it in relationship. And so part of that just communicates to us that our relationships with each other are important. They matter. And they matter because Jesus came and showed us and taught us that they matter. And so those are some of the, those are some of the you know, so what's of the incarnation for us? Enter fully into that relationship with the creator of the universe. Because Jesus made the way clear for you.
enjoy, enjoy the world that He gave to us. Travel it. See it. Share it. Love it. Treasure it. Behold it. Take it in. The Apostle Paul tells us, right, that because of it, there is no language where his voice is not heard because of his creation. And then continue to invest in the relationships that are before you because they matter. They matter to him. Let me pray for us. Father, you're good to us. Thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world for us. Father, what a great truth that we have. What a great opportunity.